Transmitting from the Mojave Wilderness in Joshua Tree, California. Now is the time for Desert Oracle Radio, the voice of the desert. Night has fallen on the desert, and you know I've always been fascinated by people who have a lot of arcane knowledge. A speciality. The woman who knows everything about owls. Which requires a lot of knowledge about everything to do with owls and raptors in general wilderness and farmland pesticides and climate change rodents in particular evolutionary biology night and day eyes and optics multiple detailed levels of local, state, national, and international laws and conventions having to do with owls and all the things that cross over with owls. Forest and forestry, timber and watersheds, light pollution and trail cameras, public databases and private endowments, The owl and folklore and folk song, indigenous and ancient religion, literature and poetry and philosophy and pop culture, the archetype of the wise owl, the wisdom goddesses and their owl familiars. Athena, Minerva, St. Bridget. That's right. I mentioned St. Minerva. The white goddess, the essence of true wisdom. The black Madonna. The great owl eyes that see into the inner soul. You know, their time of power is dusk. And you know, the Navajo know that the owl is the envoy between worlds. The owls are not what they seem. And yet they are exactly what they seem. Creatures of mystery, even when you're an expert, even then. You are out in the night squinting through military goggles to get a clumsy glimpse of what the owl sees with perfection and clarity and high-speed processing ability. Highly specialized, totally intuitive. You know, there is much more to know and much more to do to improve the situation for the owls and for the world the owls need. The owls and us both. And so you keep at it. You publish papers in the biology journals, and you watch YouTubes of other owl experts talking about owls, and no doubt you have a lot of owl totems wherever you live. Even if you don't want them, you have them because people think, well, let's get her this owl whatever. 
this owl painting or these ice trays that make little owl ice cubes or for sure this owl t-shirt and the owl tote bag and some owl yard ornaments and maybe weird old Aunt Carol says I don't know if you want this but since Frank died I figured I'd give away all his junk and he's got this taxidermied owl I think it's an owl And all that is just to know everything about owls. To try to know, anyway. The fun is being out in the field and witnessing some oddball behavior. Like a great horned owl hunting cooperatively with a pair of desert iguanas totally unheard of. The iguanas are hanging off the owl's tail. I guess, and now they're coming in low over a herd of night rats, and you're seeing all of this on the night vision cameras. 8K, well, they can get six or ten rats at a time like this, so it's much more efficient, time-wise. Now, the iguanas don't eat live rats, so there's apparently a barter system, because what the desert iguana really does eat is its own crap. I mean, you can look it up. The desert iguana eats fecal pellets of its own species, which aids in the digestion of plant cellulose by establishing the proper gut fauna. Whatever, respect the kink. So the owls... Well, they have some system whereby they collect the iguana crap when the iguanas aren't looking or otherwise occupied and then, well, nobody knows. Nobody knows how they communicate. Perhaps they've learned each other's language as so many of us have done with dogs or whatever. Ravens. Babies. You ever hear some parents and their new baby is just jabbering a bunch of horrific sounds? Like, you don't know if it's hurt or what. If something clamped onto its foot, and the mother will say, Oh, that just means he wants the iPad. Really? But they figured it out. They figured out if you give the baby the iPad, it'll stop making that sound. Is this comprehension of another language or just a mutual Pavlovian reinforcement? We used to say, uh, don't give the baby the iPad, it'll wreck the baby's brain. But we finally quit saying that because it's all most of us do anyway. The baby is now being prepared for a lifetime of looking at a phone, looking at a screen, looking at the TV. So, like Generation Z right now, that baby will grow up to hate the terrible, banal, backwards world the old people created. The world of contact tracing, shopping screens in everybody's hands all the time, and we even pay for it. We pay for the privilege. We've come to a weird point in time when we wait for some external entity to tell us what to do, tell us what we're allowed to do. 
Give us a job and then take it away again. Give us health insurance or a place to live and then take that away. Give us a little bit of liberty and a whole lot of death, hard and mean. Now, if you look at the old west, the wild west, the desert southwest of 1865 through 1895, really through the end of the 1800s and already mythologized and legendary by 1900, here you see what happened when people got tired of being told what to do, told who they were and what they could be. In the movies, the cowboys are usually tall white dudes like Gary Cooper. But of course you know the real cowboys tended toward the small and lean size. They could ride any kind of horse from a pony to a draft horse. Why they could tame wild mustangs. On the Great Basin Desert, in the Juniper Hills of New Mexico, the grasslands of what we call Texas and Oklahoma today. The Plains Indians, the Comanche and Apache, Crow and Blackfoot, they all led the way in that department, having helped themselves to some Spanish stock left behind or liberated from the expeditions from Mexico City, Coronado, and etc. The horse plays a big part in the native history of the second half of the second millennium. Vaquero, that got garbled into Bookaroo. That's what they called the horsemen of the old Spanish, Mexican, and California ranchos. The business was cowhide, shipped out by the tens of thousands when the United States muscled in, a flood of people followed, 49ers and veterans of both the winning and losing sides of the rebellion, as did so many formerly enslaved peoples who got a look at the new situation and realized, especially in the defeated South, that the law can change on paper, but it doesn't mean it changes on the ground, on the soil. So our tougher-than-leather cowboys and occasional cowgirls comprised all the colors and cultures of the Americas. Better to be free on the range on the back of a horse, and if somebody treated you poorly, well, you could just go to another town. And if somebody treated you very poorly, well, guns were cheap and so were bullets. Some ten star on a white man's shirt meant zero, as it should. A ten star is a momentary decoration in designation of a momentary public servant. Now, back then, the sheriff was a very temporary sort of job, and nobody had any illusions about it. They were generally criminals themselves, shut out of honest work by their disposition and personal history. And their paid duty was solely to keep the peace and keep out other criminals. When they failed, they were fired. When they really failed, they were buried beneath a flimsy wooden cross and a pile of rocks behind the whorehouse. And when they disgraced themselves, and disgrace the town. Well, then they were thrown to the hogs, the vultures, good riddance to bad rubbish. 
I want to tell you about a radical and inspirational approach to protecting our communities, our people, and our wildlife, and our open spaces, and our air and water, especially in our beloved little desert and mountain towns in the West, because that's where this one originated. And as modern and exciting and of the moment it sounds, this policy proposal by a candidate for sheriff is from 1970, 50 years ago, a half century ago. The place? The classic western town of the era. The place to be. The Joshua Tree and Sedona and Park City of its time. Aspen, Colorado. The candidate was part of a radically progressive slate of candidates. Teachers, artists, attorneys and doctors and writers dedicated to basic human rights, basic decency, an unpolluted world for themselves and their kids and their friends and their families. Having seen the local sheriff's deputies habitually mistreat the peaceful young people drawn to Aspen's beauty and sense of community, these reformers aim to take over every aspect of local government, city and county political offices, including coroner, mayor, supervisors, and of course the sheriff's department. And they did not simply propose fresh faces, some minor reforms. They proposed with intense community input and clarity, completely remaking the institutions that no longer serve the people. If elected, the new sheriff would not even serve in a law enforcement capacity. Instead, this sheriff would serve as ombudsman for a six-pronged department dedicated to volunteer service, citizen complaints, consumer protection, legal aid, training and hiring and overseeing of a small policing branch, and a public information bureau to shine light upon it all for the benefit of all. Serving at the pleasure of the elected sheriff and the community at large would be an undersheriff who would manage the essential public services of search and rescue, traffic safety, court summons, investigation, and finally, policing, which would be done with maximum transparency and without the violence and intimidation that had already tarnished the community for so many of its citizens. The campaign was unique for making law enforcement a relatively small part of the sheriff's department. As the candidate said, I plan to expand the scope of the sheriff's office to encompass the prevention and elimination of the causes of crime, as well as merely dealing with the effects of it after the fact. The younger generation regards police as the enemy. I envision a self-policing committee, especially among the young people, so that the word is put out that no heroin, speed, or burglaries, etc. will be allowed in the community. Now the most revolutionary part of this sheriff's campaign was its intense focus on the kind of crime that affects most of us, both then and now. Environmental crime. 
Take a look at the death tolls in this rotten pandemic we're in. Black Americans are far more likely to die from COVID-19 than white Americans. In some communities, black people are dying two to three times more often from the same virus. Latino communities are hit hard too. Because these communities are so often the poor communities, the black and brown neighborhoods. Because of a system that's rotten from the fish head down. Poor health often non-existent medical insurance. Run-down neighborhoods with the dirtiest air, the unsafe drinking water supplies. Low income, high unemployment. No Whole Foods or Farmer's Markets. Redlined out of home ownership. Redlined out of park budget, city landscaping, proper school facilities, color lined right out of blue skies and green belts. This is the environmental apartheid of America. Runs against our environment. Rank is high crimes against people. Law enforcement must detect both. This new sheriff's department would have environmental law deputies with environmental science backgrounds. They would travel not with an arsenal of human-killing weapons, but would test for soil, water, air, maps, cameras for the prosecution of illegal dumping, poisoning of streams and sky, poaching of wildlife, and clearing of timber. If you're thinking, well, we already have people to investigate and prosecute such things, first of all, we did not in 1970. The Federal Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act, Endangered Species Act, and other such green legislation, all still a couple of years away. Even the Environmental Protection Agency would not be chartered until the end of that year, December of 1970. the good Germans, etc., all of this sounded radical. To the young people, of course, it made perfect sense. They saw the world as it was, not as it had been. They saw that everything is always up for grabs and that every now and then good people are inspired to go ahead and take it. Not for riches, not for power over oppressed people in their communities but to spread it around, give it back, make it safe, make it a public good, the public good. A number of activists, environmental attorneys, shaped the platform based on their experience with local and regional defense leagues that had begun springing up around the country. Many inspired by marine biologist Rachel Carson's revolutionary bestseller of 1962, Silent Spring. Here is how this sheriff's campaign from 50 years ago pledged to deal with crimes against our shared and localized environment. 
Every law enforcement deputy would be trained equally in preventing and detecting both environmental crime and the typical person property crimes. If you think that would overwhelm a deputy, remember that it takes just a few weeks, maybe a few months of training to go from unemployed to a gun and a badge in a squad car. George Floyd's murderers had been flipping burgers at McDonald's and collecting shopping carts at Walmart immediately before they were sent out to terrorize black communities. It doesn't have to be like this. Anything we don't like, guess what? We change it. The candidate in question all those years ago lost his election by a handful of votes, as did the equally forward-thinking candidate for mayor of Aspen. But within a very short time, many of their proposed radical changes became both law and practice. Not enough, of course, but they were right, and they almost got to prove it themselves that time. The sheriff's candidate left his own important mark on the American literary tradition of the hell-raising voice of moral outrage, generally wrapped in humor and storytelling. And he left his own peculiar mark on the Mojave Desert with his 1971 literary classic of madness in the face of fascism, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. Written shortly after he lost a sheriff's race. Written mostly on a weekend vacation from covering the Chicano movement in Los Angeles. And what most believed to be the deliberate murder of Chicano journalist Ruben Salazar by the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. They shot him in the head with a tear gas projectile. He was sitting inside the Silver Dollar Bar on Whittier Boulevard having a cold beer and getting a moment's rest from the violence outside. Chicanos were peacefully protesting the Vietnam War on the streets. But then the busloads of heavily armed, militarized deputies showed up. Look it up. You can read along on Wikipedia with me. The sheriff's deputy fired a 10-inch wall-piercing type of tear gas round from a tear gas gun of the type intended for barricade situations, rather than the type of tear gas round designed to be fired directly at people which produces a plume of tear gas smoke. The L.A. coroner ruled Salazar's death a homicide, a murder. But the cops were never prosecuted. Salazar's friend and attorney, Oscar Acosta, was helping this Aspen-based writer get a sense of the heartbreak and rage within the Chicano community. And this is when the former sheriff's candidate and the social justice attorney decided to go to Vegas for the weekend to drive through the desert and talk it out to blow off some steam. 
You probably know by now that the candidate for sheriff of Aspen was Hunter S. Thompson. But you might not know that Los Angeles County paid out $700,000 in 19-70 money to Ruben Salazar's family for his wrongful death which was at the time the largest cash settlement in L.A. County history. Now Hunter Thompson has fallen out of favor over the years, but that's mostly because a strange frat boy contingent of entitled right-wing millionaires like Chicken Factory heir Tucker Carlson and the deeply untalented P.J. O'Rourke and dozens of other soft-brained dingbats were attracted to Thompson's later celebrity and buffoonery while completely ignoring his work, his purpose, his ethics, and his radical, anti-racist, and anti-fascist personal politics that are perfectly illuminated for anyone who can read his work. But that's the past, and while the past is how we got here, it only controls the present if we let it. If we say, oh, it's always that way, oh, young black and brown men are routinely slaughtered by a lawless brotherhood hiding behind a badge and a gun and the lion's share of our local budgets, the money that should be going to our schools, daycare, parks, libraries, health clinics, job training the environmental and social work of putting up solar panels on rooftops, building homes for the homeless, making parks out of dirty vacant lots abandoned by the real estate trusts. If we say it's always been that way, and we can't change it, then we're not going to change it. But if we change it, we will never run out of good things to do with the money that pours into the secretive, violent forces of our towns, cities, and counties. So I want to put a bug in your ear if I can. Get your phone or get on your computer and find out when the primary elections are coming up for all the local and regional offices where you live. Not just this year, but next year the even-numbered years cycle. Look ahead a little bit. There's always elections coming up. You want to quit giving the school budget to the police? Most school board seats, especially out here in the small towns, are decided by a handful of votes. You got enough friends on Facebook to win a school board race. And no, you don't need any more education or credentials, and you need to become a cop, which is to say none, zero. How about running for town council, the board of supervisors, the water district, the library board? How about running for sheriff? Give that money to the kids, to the grandparents raising toddlers because the mother has to work night shifts at the Walmart. For scholarships to keep any kid who wants to go to community college and community college until they can transfer if they want to a four-year or get the two-year degree and get good, meaningful, full-time work with vacation and benefits doing something that needs to be done. Summer camps for kids, trail building for the parks, work on windmills and solar power, retrofitting public buildings and water supplies to make them clean and safe. 
I mean, the sky is the limit. You can do it. Don't take any guff from these scum. As Hunter Thompson would say, take charge. If it's broke, fix it. Thanks for listening, and good night from the Voice of the Desert.